Today's sermon will be from Joshua chapter 1, verse 1 through 9. Um, Please uh, listen to God's word as I read Joshua chapter 1, verse 1 through 9. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, and the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, for arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, and to the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you just as I promised to Moses from the wilderness and this Lebion, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hizzites to the great sea towards the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do accordingly to the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that so that you may be careful to do accordingly to all that is written in it. For then you for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Amen. Thank you, brother. Good morning. I just want to remind you again, just briefly, I know you've heard a couple announcements on it, but I'm going to give you one more incentive to show up on Saturday morning uh, for the Engage Conference. Joel Kerr's friend of mine, he'll be speaking to us. He's doing the work of engaging the poor right there in the middle of Baltimore. You may have seen those riots a couple, three years ago. His church and his life is right in the middle of all of that. And he's going to talk to us about ministering to the whole person, not just serving the poor, but ministering to the whole person. He'll discuss for us 10 different poverties uh, that keep people poor and the ways that the church can come around those people to lift them up uh, that they might live in the fullness of life. So I hope you'll show up for that. Let me pray for us as we dive in here. Father, we thank you for uh, your word. We pray, God, just as it is said here, that we would be careful to meditate and do all that it says. Guide us into the truth this morning, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. So uh, last week, we had kind of a soft launch into our study in the book of Judges. And uh, we call it soft because we didn't quite jump into all of the study of Judges yet. We'll do that even next week. But we're calling it, as you heard from uh, Nick, we're a supremacy of self. Uh, By the way, just so it's clear, we don't think the supremacy of self is a good idea. That's going to be the point of the book. So you'll keep back and you'll see as we go through that. But we took a look at Deuteronomy chapter 7. And in Deuteronomy 7, we saw, that's the last book of the first five books called the Law, the Torah, uh, the Pentateuch. And we saw in there Israel's mission as they came into the land of promise. And we saw three things that they were supposed to be about. We saw that they were first off to wipe out the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Girgashites, those seven uh, uh, nations that were there. 
Uh, certainly a difficult thing to think about. If you have questions about that and you weren't here last week, go back, listen to that sermon. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit more next week, about what it looks like and why God's doing that. But they're supposed to not intermarry with these people, not make covenants with them, but as the arm of God's justice uh, to wipe out those Canaanites as they came into the land. Secondly, we saw that they were to be a holy people. That God set his love upon them. They were to be holy. And the way that they would be holy, uh, the way that they would be set apart, would be by obeying his commands. By loving God and obeying his commands. And in that way, they would be set apart from the world around them. Finally, we saw that they were to not be afraid throughout all of this. Uh, a very difficult task in front of them. God wanted them to look back at past grace, trust him for future grace as they walked in to the land. But as we I've heard mentioned already this morning in between the book of Deuteronomy and the book of Judges is the book of Joshua. Uh, The book of Joshua is the story of how Joshua picks up the mantle of Israel's former leader, Moses. Moses dies. He's the leader given God's people the law. He dies. Joshua is his successor, and he's going to be the one that initially brings them into the land. That's what this book is about. That's why it has the name, his name uh, on top of that book. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. Uh, Josh is going to be doing basically exactly what Moses told them to do, uh, to do all that stuff we talked about last week. And so this morning, as you heard read, we're going to consider three things in order to help us understand the context for Judges. First off, we're going to see that Joshua needed to know that God was with him. Secondly, we'll see that uh, Joshua needed to then be strong and courageous. And finally, he needed to meditate and then do the word. So first off, first off, God is with you. God is with you. There's a few things uh, when you heard that passage being read, uh, you should have heard some repetition in there. So the Old Testament didn't have punctuation, things like that, no exclamation marks. So the way that God would try to have you to know that he's trying to emphasize something would be by him repeating things. So anytime in the Bible you hear people repeating something, that should tell you this is important. And there should be at least three things that you heard in that passage that were emphasized, that were repeated. And that, by chance, happens to be the outline of my sermon. You see how that works? Not so easy when the the text works out that way. Uh, But the first repetition that we see in there is God's telling Joshua that he is going to be with them in this task of going into the land, leading the people in the land. Look at verse 5 there. It says, as I was with Moses, so will I be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. So there we find in that one uh, verse, three times, God encouraging Joshua, I'm with you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to be with you. And then again in verse 9, the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now this is important because uh, the task that's in front of Joshua is hard. It's a very difficult task. And so the Lord is encouraging Joshua by reminding him that he is going to be with him. Uh, We learned last week, Right In Deuteronomy, that this, these nations that are already in the land, these nations are more numerous than the Israelites, and they're stronger. So he needs to be encouraged that God is going to be with them. We also see there in verse 3 that God's promised to give them the land. It's yours. It's yours to go and take. Now, why is it God can say that? Well, God made the land, so he's able to give it away. Right. So... He's promised, I'm going to be with you. It's your land. Everything you step on is going to be yours. It's going to be difficult, but I'm going to be with you as you go and take it. But I want you to notice something. Did you notice how God would be with Joshua? You'll notice that that he said, God said there, that he would be with him just as he was with Moses. You see that? 
Which, of course, begs the question, well, in what way was God with Moses? Well, he was with Moses. God was with Moses in that he met with Moses and he guided Moses into the truth so that Moses might then guide the Israelites into the truth. So Moses or God was not with Moses just so they could just sort of hang out, watch the Super Bowl together, you know, and eat Doritos and just, you know, enjoy one another's company. It's true that God loved Moses, but God was with Moses for a purpose. He's with him to 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 lead, tell him, understand God, know God, enjoy God, and that he might then walk in the truth and lead the Israelites to walk in the truth. And so that's how God was loving Moses and what he was doing in the in the midst of his giving his presence to Moses. And that's how God was going to be with Joshua in the same way. So when God said that he's going to be with Moses or be with Joshua, he's fundamentally saying to Joshua, you're not going to be alone. I'm going to be with you in this task so that you might know me and walk in obedience to me and then lead the others to do the same, to walk in obedience to me. That's what he was with Moses for. Uh, now, Joshua surely would have been very, encu- uh, very encouraged by this news that God was going to be with him because, again, he knew not only how hard the task was to do all of this, he also knew how difficult a task it was to lead the Israelites, right? Not exactly the easiest people on planet Earth to, to lead, right? I'm sure that he and Moses had some powwows in the tent after some moments. Because you'll notice, look back in verse 1, Moses there, Joshua is Moses' assistant. So I'm sure there's some powwows in the tent where, you know, maybe Moses comes back and, you know, he shares with Joshua these complaining Israelites how they want to go back to slavery and have some meat, right, after they've been given this miraculous manna. Or, you know, maybe, you know, Moses goes up to the top of Mount Sinai and he comes back and sees them worshiping a golden calf. And Moses says, you know, I can't leave these guys just for a minute. These guys are already worshiping other things. So Joshua clearly encouraged that uh, God would be with him in the same way that he was with Moses because the task was hard and the people were hard to lead into the truth. And so maybe some of you are saying, I wish God could be with me like that. I wish God would be with me and I wish he could then help me to know him and then follow him and then help others to then follow him, just like he was with Moses, just like he was with Joshua. I wish God would do that for me. I wish I had that kind of relationship. You know right where I'm going, right? You have the same promise, Christian. You have the exact same promise. We can think about the ministry of Jesus Christ where after He has accomplished salvation for all those that believe, He says to His disciples in that well-known Great Commission verse, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 to 20, when Jesus says, All authority has been given to Me on heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, uh, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And there it is, I will be with you always to the end of the age. It's a promise he made to the disciples and to the disciples, disciples, and the disciples, 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 till eventually gets to us. This is our promise that Christ is with us. So the directive, as we read that there, as Jesus' words, we, that should have sounded somewhat familiar to you. That should have sounded somewhat similar to what we read about in Joshua. Joshua is being told, take the land, Meditate, do the word, I'm going to be with you. And Jesus says something very similar. Jesus' command was to go into the world, make disciples, and he was going to be with us. But we need to ask the question, in what way is Christ with us? In what way is he with us? 
See, it's possible that Christ can be with us, friends, because He atoned for sin, He ascends, He resurrects, ascends to God, and then sends the Holy Spirit to take up residence inside the believer. And in that way, He can be with us. And so, when we think about this, beloved, I want you to realize that this gospel, this ministry of Christ atoning for sin, raising, ascending, sending the Spirit to live inside of those of us that believe, I want you to realize that that reality is even better than the old covenant. It's even better. Listen to that. Listen to this. You, you might be saying, how do you know that, Nathan? That's quite a claim. Look at Hebrews chapter 6. It'll be right behind me. And it says this. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old. As the old covenant He mediates is better. Why? It's enacted on better promises. The author of Hebrews, you can look back and check me on this in Hebrews 8, he then goes on to quote Jeremiah 31, which talks about the fact that God would put His laws into the believers' minds and write His law on their hearts. And then God says, I will be their God and they will be My people. And so the way Christ's covenant is better is because He fulfills the covenant, the old covenant, that had the presence of God in the temple, a physical building, one place. It was in one place in Israel. And because of His atoning sacrifice, Christ's atoning sacrifice, the Holy Spirit then comes to indwell the believer, making them the temple of God. You know, it's not very pretty, but take a look, folks. You're looking at somebody that has the, that is the temple of God, right? This is true. So instead of there being, guys, think about this for a second. So in there, instead of there being one Joshua in one nation who had the presence of God with him, we now are a church full of Joshua's. All here together. And so because of the work of Christ, the Spirit can live with us. We can know God, have God's Spirit in us. And we can spread out among not just one nation, many nations, all nations. Having churches gathered together as cities that picture the glories of Christ and the forever land of promise in heaven. We are now a nation of Joshua's. And so we should then ask the next question. If the Spirit is with us, what is the Holy Spirit doing in the life of the believer? What does God's presence in our life mean? Well, you should have the answer to this by now, right? What God did in Moses' life, what God did in Joshua's life, and them having the presence was to, as I said earlier, to guide them into the truth. That they would know God, obey God, and guide the people into the truth. And so this is exactly what Jesus says the Holy Spirit would do. Take a look at John sixteen thirteen. When the Spirit of truth comes, what's He going to do? He's going to guide you into all the truth. And of course, we know that Jesus says that He is the truth. So for those who have trusted Christ's atoning sacrifice for sin, they become the temple of God as the Spirit resides within us to then guide us into the truth, which is Christ. And so we then must ask the next question, what does that mean for us? Well, does that mean that we all need to go lead an army? Take over a city? Set up a state? Of course not. God is no longer in setting up a nation state in order to display His holiness. God has already accomplished holiness in Christ on the cross and in the resurrection. Therefore, He is now after a multinational people that know God and obey God. And then those people then gather together as little nations in and of themselves. 
And so this means, Restoration Church, that we need to go into the land of the world and make disciples of Jesus Christ. The Spirit is in us that we might spread out into the nation. Just as Joshua was going into one nation, we need to spread out into the nations to make disciples that the truth might be obeyed, that God would be glorified. God is with us as He was with Joshua, all the more He is with us. We are now a community, a nation of Joshua's, since the Spirit is with us. So then, brothers and sisters, as Jesus commanded us, may we make disciples that delight in the supremacy of Christ. That's what we're up to. That's what we're doing. God gave us His presence that we might know Him, enjoy Him. He gave us His presence that we might walk in His truth. And finally, He gave us His presence so that we might help others walk in that truth. In the same way that Joshua was given the presence of God so that He might help Israel walk in the truth. So it is with us. And so, friend, if you call yourself a Christian and you're not helping other people follow the truth of Jesus, I don't know what you mean when you say you're a Christian. One of the main reasons God saved you was that, yes, you would know Him, be forgiven, walk in His truth, but He saved you so that you would then help other people walk in that truth in the same way that He did with Joshua. So you can't say that you're a Christian if you're not trying to help other people follow Jesus. It just doesn't make any sense if you're not doing that. So God gave us His presence to comfort us, to forgive us, to guide us, and to help others be guided into the truth. This is one of the great aims of our lives as Christians. To love God and to love our neighbor. What's the best way we can love our neighbor? By helping them follow Jesus. That's the best way we can love our neighbor. This is the end, one of the great ends of our lives. To not only know God, not just receive the word, not even just to walk in the word, but to love others by loving them with that word. Until a people from all tribes, tongues, and languages would bow down at the throne of Christ and say, worthy are you, O God. You are King and Lord. This is what we're up to. Which is why the mission of Restoration Church exists for the one sake of making disciples that delight in the supremacy of Christ here in Washington, D.C. and around the world, beyond. We are here to equip you towards that great end. To know God and help people follow God. But the reality is, right, that we some of the reason we don't do that We don't make disciples is because it's intimidating, right? It's hard. Well, isn't it good to know that God is aware of that? Which leads us to the next thing that we read from Joshua. We need to be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. You should have picked up on the repetition of those words as well. You can see it there in verse 6. See it there in verse 7. And again in verse 9 with the additional words, to not be, fr- not be frightened, nor to not be dismayed. Now, this is pretty amazing that God would do this, I think. He would say this, be strong, courageous, be strong, and courageous. It's amazing because, because of this. He didn't have to say that. Right? I mean, it would have been enough for God to just say, I'm giving you all the land, it's all yours, you just go take it, and I'm going to be with you. Now go get them. And yet God knows the difficulty of the task. And so he encourages, be strong, Joshua. Be courageous, Joshua. You can do this in me. You can do this. Go. Be strong. Don't give up. Do this. Amazing that God is like this, that he knows these things and he encourages us to be strong and courageous in obedience. 
Joshua understands that the task is hard. God understands the task is hard. It's intimidating. We can be mindful even in our own lives, can't we? The times when people came around us and something was difficult and they encouraged us. Come on, you got this. Don't give up. Be strong. Let's go. Right. And as a result of that, we kind of redoubled our efforts. Right. And we kind of pushed through to that great thing, that great task. Well, that's what God's doing here. That's what God's doing here, calling Joshua to be strong and courageous as a result of the fact that he's with him, that he's promised to give him the land. And that word for strength there means to be firm, resolute. Keep going. Be firm, strong in belief, strong in what you're doing. And that word for courageous simply means to be brave. So God is saying, believe in me, believe in what you're doing so much that you'll go to the hard places. You'll do the hard things and you will not back down no matter what you keep going. And courage, as I like to tell my boys, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is doing the right thing in the midst of the fear. That's what he's telling him to do, to be brave in the midst of that. Joshua has reason to be afraid, but God is telling him to not be afraid because of what he has done in times past. He can trust him as he goes forward, no matter what may come up. So he's saying, be strong, be resolved to not stop when things get hard. If you do not get frightened, if you rise up, if you're courageous in the midst of that, you will make it. You will lead others into the truth. Keep going. He even gives him more encouragement. Look back in verse 5. The Lord tells Joshua, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Now, God needed to exhort Joshua like this because he knew what it says there in verse 6. Look at verse 6. Joshua will cause, underline that word cause, Joshua will cause this people to inherit the land. See what God's doing there? God is putting a great deal of emphasis on one man to lead them into the land and then set up a holy people in that land for the sake of His glory. Does that sound familiar to anyone else in this room? Do we know of anyone else that could not stand in the midst of His face? Do we know anyone else that God caused on His shoulders to then inherit a land? To lead people in and set up a holy place? Of course, this reminds us of the greater Joshua Jesus the Christ. This is pointing to that. This is intended to point. Joshua is intended to point to the greater Christ. The greater Joshua. The one that caused us who are in Christ to inherit the new Canaan. To inherit the new and forever land of promise. In heaven. In Hebrew, the name of Jesus is, guess what? Joshua. Joshua. Which means Savior. Jesus means Savior. So in other words, Jesus, His name in Hebrew would have been Joshua. And so Joshua was the Savior that led the Israelites into the land of promise. But he was pointing to the greater Joshua who would cause us to inherit the land of promise. And so since he has, brothers and sisters, may we be strong and courageous. May we be strong and courageous knowing that God is with us. So may we spread out into the land declaring the truth of God and worshiping Him in spirit and truth. I love what Paul writes to Timothy. Young disciple Timothy. Young pastor Timothy. Timothy trying to sort of walk in the truth and lead others into the truth, surrounded by a bunch of lies and kind of false theologies and bad teaching. And Paul says to Timothy, he says to him, listen, Timothy, God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power 
and of love and of self-control. And so Restoration Church, may we be resolute and brave in the great task of making disciples. Knowing God, walking in the truth, and calling others to walk in that truth that we might establish a holy people as is evidenced by this gathering. More and more, by the grace of God, may this section fill up and that section fill up by His grace so that people more and more would know God, walk in His ways. And then they're telling other people about the importance of that as well as the city of the church, which is at this church, Restoration Church, would grow in delighting in the supremacy of Christ. May we not look to the right or to the left, but may our eyes be ever forward looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one that is bringing us in. He's gone before us, Jesus has. He's gone before us to prepare a way. And so may we follow him, trust him, delighting in his law and inviting others in to know him and delight in him as well. As we go, God knows the task of making disciples is hard. And so while we do not have to fight people with swords and with spears, we do battle against the lies of the evil one. We battle against those that tell us that we are small, insignificant, and old-fashioned. We battle against those that tell us that our message is bigoted or arrogant. We battle against those fellow brothers and sisters even that have set their faith on coast and aren't interested in making disciples as if that was an option. And the hardest battle of all, I think, is just the, the battle of apathy. Right? Those that think that Jesus is only receiving, not giving. Those that think that uh, they can just receive all the benefits of Christ without the cost of following Him. Well, Friends, we need to heed the call of God here. We need to be strong. We need to be courageous. We need to not be frightened. We need to not be dismayed. Listen, if God is for us, what? Who can be against us? Right? The battle has already been won. We have nothing to lose. We just need to go in and into the land and call people into following Jesus. We need to enjoy Jesus ourselves. Walk in that truth ourselves. Follow and invite others into that. God is calling you, brothers and sisters, to step into this land and fight for the glory of Christ. That's why one of the main reasons God gave you His Spirit, not just so that you would enjoy God on your own, that you would learn how to guide people, other people, into the truth. Get into the fields. Get into the fields. Be strong and courageous. I'm mindful of that great quote from Edmund Burke. It says the only thing that is needed for evil to triumph is for good men and women to do nothing. May that not be said of us. And so we should ask the question then, what would it look like for Restoration Church to be strong and courageous in disciple making? It doesn't have to look like we see Joshua doing here where Joshua is this great you know, nation leader. It doesn't have to look like that. It just means you've got to be faithful in whatever field God's put you in. Just be faithful there. If you're a husband, lead your wife. Wives, be faithful to pray and help your husbands in that task. Parents, disciple your children. Singles, I realize many of you want to be married, but as Paul makes clear in 1 Corinthians 7, you have the ability to do even more than we marriage do in the mission of God. And that you have the ability to spread out and, and make even more disciples. So use your singleness for the glory of Christ. Be strong and courageous in your singleness. The reality is, friends, God is with us. He has sent His Spirit, yes, to comfort us. Yes, to forgive us. 
All the more, though, to challenge us towards obedience in making disciples that we might set up a people by his glory and by his grace that walk in the truth. And so don't be afraid of rejection. Do not be afraid of job loss. Don't be afraid of more loss of time at Netflix. Oh, we love Netflix, right? Can't, if I have to make disciples, then I might not get to... Just listen, it'll be there, right? <laughs> the, re- the reality is there are six plus 600,000 plus people in Washington, D.C. alone. Most of them don't know the gospel. There's 140 members of this church. And there are countless visitors that come through our halls into this church this morning. They're, they're here this morning. And many of them are asking questions about God, about the truth, about what it means to live a holy life, to know God and live in light of Him. They're asking questions. And Christian, you've been given the answers. God gave you His presence so that you might help them answer those questions and walk alongside them into the truth to guide them in in the same way that Josh was doing. And so be strong and courageous in the midst of that task. And so some of you then ask the question, okay, God's with me. I need to be strong and courageous in knowing God and leading in the truth. That leads to the third question, where do I begin? What do I do? Well, look what Joshua tells, or look what the Lord tells Joshua next. And again, it should sound somewhat familiar to the Great Commission. So we've said God is with you. Therefore, be strong and courageous. Thirdly, meditate on the word and do the word. Meditate on the word and do the word. So the Lord has told Joshua that all the land they step on is given to them. He's told them that he's going to be with him as he leads the Israelites into the land. And as a result, God told him then to be strong and courageous in the task of establishing a holy people, leading them in the truth. And so I'm sure, I'm sure Joshua probably had a bevy of questions. Maybe he said, you know, how can I maintain strength and courage? Maybe he asked, how can I be reminded, God, that you're with me? Or maybe he asked, how can I be clear what it is I'm supposed to do and what a holy people is? Well, notice the transition in verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous, being, underline that word, being what? Careful to do according to most of the law, as long as you get most of the law right. Just making sure you're paying attention. It's not what it says. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. And look how focused God is on this. Don't turn from it to the right or the left that you may have. See the connection that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. I think he means by that he's speaking it. He's helping people understand it. Shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall, this is before that, meditate on it. You know, when you get some time. So what it says? No. Day and night, which, by the way, reminds us of Psalm 1. You can ask me about that later. Interesting. Sorry. Shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be, there it is again, underline, careful to do according to, there it is again, circle all that is written in it. For then you will make your your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Did you... Did you catch the linchpin of of success there? What was the linchpin, according to the Lord? In their mission and their success. What's the linchpin? He was being careful to do all of the law. And not just do it, 
Notice the Lord wants Joshua to meditate on it. In other words, God wants it to come from the heart, not just the head and the hands. Don't just go through the motions. I listened to a podcast this morning where guys said, you know, the greatest religion of all is formalism, where people just sort of do it on the outside. It's not actually real truth. So it's got to come from down in here. So the linchpin between their mission of Israel and their success was the word of God. And the reason why was because the word was and is God's design for our success, for their success, for our success. God, friends, was not silent to Joshua. His presence was not just this sort of silent warmth. You know, sort of like, I just want to make you feel some warm and fuzzies. I'm with you. It just feels nice. It's true. It comforts us. That's true. Yeah, I think that's right. But God is with him, but he speaks to him. He speaks to him. He didn't just say, go into the land, whatever feels right, do it. That's not what he says. He doesn't say, go into the land and do whatever is right, Joshua, in your own eyes. Whatever, whatever he thinks right, you just do that. It's not what he says. God wants Joshua to lead the people into doing what is right in God's eyes. In the truth of his word. And so, therefore, God does what? He writes it down for him. Even though the presence of God is in him, he still writes down the word and he wants him to understand it. He wrote down what success was. He didn't leave Joshua guessing. It was right there in front of him. Note, by the way, that the Pentateuch is already formed by this point. That's a whole other interesting line of conversation. But nevertheless, it's right there in front of him. The way of prosperity and success was laid out clearly for him in the word of God. And so even though God was with Joshua, he still needed the word of God to to direct him in all the way they should go. He even needed the call to be careful in understanding the word. And so insofar as Joshua and the people did what was right in God's eyes, it says they would have success. And don't forget this, guys, because when we get into Judges, guess what's going to go wrong? That. They just don't do it. They just start doing what is right in their own eyes. And they just forget the law by the end. But the reality is, guys, God never failed. He gave them the presence, uh, his own presence. He gives them the word. And what we're going to see in Judges is they reject it in favor of their own. But the story of Joshua is different. The story of Joshua is that of a leader that tries to do what is right in God's eyes, to follow his word. Flip to the end of the book. Joshua 21. Now, as you're looking through, just sort of glance at those uninspired, but probably accurate headings. You know, they kind of take some land, the inheritance for Simeon, the inheritance for Dan, the cities of refuge. And then we get to Jeremiah or Joshua 21. So we're getting at the back of the book, right? The words right before we pick up in Judges. And look what it says in verse 45. After all that they, so they go into the land, alright, at this point, they're in the land. Jericho, some of y'all know that story, you know, seven times, walk around, gone, and they take, all that. Right? That stuff's happened at this point. They've gone in, they've defeated some of the Amorites. Good stuff has happened. They're going into the land, they're doing what's right. Joshua's up there, he's strong, he's courageous, he's leading them in. And we get to the end of Joshua's life, and what do we hear? Joshua 21, 45, not one of all their enemies had withstood them. For the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel 
had failed. All came to pass. And look down, just look down, just a few sentences down. Chapter 22, verse 2. Look at there. Joshua summons, he summons part of the people. They're in the land. Things are going good. And he says to him, you have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you and have obeyed my voice and all that I have commanded you. In other words, there's some slip-ups when you read through Joshua. Little slip-ups. Just enough little hints. Just sort of, you know, like those things in the movie, you know, like something drops and the camera goes, and it comes back up. You know, it kind of keeps going. Something about that pin drop is going to come back in the story. That's sort of what happens to Joshua. You get some hints of things not quite going right. But nevertheless, things are going good. Under the leadership of Joshua, they love the Lord by loving his word and obeying it. And as a result, what? Success. Prosperity. Just as the Lord promised. The way of the word was the way of success. God's with Joshua. He's strong and he's courageous. He's strong and courageous in doing what is right in God's eyes by meditating and doing the word. This is the way of success. But I want to be careful before I close. We could be tempted to walk away from this passage and think that the hero is Joshua or the Israelites. Exactly what, exactly what Nick says, wherever he is. Nick's right. There's one hero. It's not only one hero in Judges. Guess what? There's one hero in Joshua. And it ain't Joshua. Right? And I'll give you a hint. There's only one hero in Genesis. And there's only one hero in Nahum. And there's only one hero in Habakkuk. Alright? There's only one hero in Revelation. God is always the one that's the hero of every book. Look again at Joshua 21.45. I want you to see this. I kind of emphasized the word on that last reading. Look at this. The Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel failed. Look in Joshua 23. Just flip over. Joshua 23, verse 1. Joshua said there that the Lord gave Israel rest. Just after that, verse 3, 23.3, Joshua said that it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. After that, in verse 5, he says that, the, that going forward, that the Lord your God will push them back before you. God gave the rest. God gave the victory. And God was going to be the one to finish it off. He's the hero. He's the hero of any story in the Bible. Joshua is not, nor is the Israelites' obedience. The hero is the Lord. It was his word, his presence to facilitate that word through Joshua to the people. God was faithful to the Israelites. He's the hero. Guys, don't lose sight of that. Many of you have read Josh, Josh, uh, Judges and you're like, what do I do with Samson? Right? Good guy, but man, he's really messed up on other occasions. Right? It's meant to point to God. He's the true hero. So we might expect at this point, though, as a result of uh, Israel being uh, uh, obeying and everything going good, we might expect at this point in the story to say, all right, when we open up Judges, man, they, they've seen God working. And they're like, yeah, man, this is the way to go. Let's give in to God. Let's do everything that He says. It's going to be great. Which makes the story so tragic. Because they don't. But nevertheless, before we get there, the point of that book, Judges, was meant to contrast with this one. God was faithful to his promises as is evidenced in Joshua. 
but the Israelites were not faithful to theirs. That's what we're going to see. So what does that mean for us? I'm going to finish with this. It means, it means that we need to trust what is right in God's eyes by trusting all of His Word and never taking it for granted. We must be careful to read, to meditate, and then do the Word, knowing that God is with us as we go, having strength and courage in Christ, not in ourselves, in Christ. And the way, that's the way that God fights our battles and brings success in our lives. He works through us as we give ourselves to all of His Word for the end of the worship of His holy name. That's what success is, brothers and sisters. No, no matter what it may look like in the eyes of the world. And a great way to illustrate this is by thinking back to that guy we thought a lot about in October. Martin Luther. A flawed man in and of himself, for sure. Another example of how the hero is always God. But listen to how Luther, when he gets to the end of his life, and he thinks back to all that God did through him. What was it that brought about success in the Reformation in the 1500s? Listen to what he says. Quote, I opposed indulgences in all papists, but never by force. I simply taught, preached, and wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. And then while I slept or drank Wittenberg beer with my friend Philip, the word so greatly weakened the papacy that never a prince or emperor did such damage to it. Listen to what he says. I did nothing. The word did it all. Had I wanted to start trouble, I could have started such a little game with even with that even the emperor would not have been safe. But what would it have been? A mug's game. I did nothing, he said. I left it to the word. So, in, of course, when Luther says the word did it all, of course, he does not mean that like, you know, the, the words jumped off up the page and ran, took down the papist. It's not, it's not what he means, right? No. He doesn't mean that. He means what we learn here in Joshua. That through the meditation, the proper proclamation, and then the proper application of the Word, God so moved in the power of the Spirit to then take down enemies and bring in success and holiness. And all of this is possible because of Jesus Christ, the greater Joshua. The one that's leading us to the forever home. And so as it was true in Joshua, as it was true 500 years ago in the Reformation, so it is true for us today. Restoration Church... God-glorifying success will only come to us as we carefully give ourselves to meditating and then doing all the Word by God's grace, through the power of His Spirit, for the glory of Christ. The strongest churches around the globe have one common denominator. One, they love God by submitting themselves to Christ, by submitting themselves to the Word. And through their obedience to that Word, as they're making disciples in uh, that word, the Lord strengthens them and advances His kingdom. And the weakest churches in the world are the very opposite. They're sadly all over our great city. The churches that try and reflect the world in its man-centered way of thinking, they have dusty Bibles and as a result have dusty pews. Their halls are empty because the world will always do the world better. It always will. But the world can never do better than a church who is submitted to heaven's darling. Christ, the greater Joshua. The one who is with those that believe him, that trust his word and are strong and courageous to live it out and call others to the same, especially when it's hard or unpopular. And that's what we're trying to do here, guys. 
at Restoration Church. It's that. It's all we're trying to do. We believe that prosperous families, healthy marriages, deep friendships, and meaningful lives are found by submitting ourselves to the God that is revealed in this book, trusting in His power through the work of Christ. The world is attempting to do what is right in its own eyes, and it is evidently confused and failing. The world is attempting to do that, but we, we have been given the presence of God. And so as a result, may we be strong and courageous among the nations as we make disciples, not trusting in ourselves to see success, but trusting in Christ and trusting in His Word as we give ourselves to it. Brothers and sisters, it is rare to find a church that is careful with God's Word. Find one and give yourselves to it that God people may know God and that you may know God. And that we may have the kind of prosperity and the kind of success that the Bible talks about. Because Jesus is bringing us home. He's bringing us into the land of promise. And we will be there soon enough. Keep your eyes on Him and call others into the same. Let's ask Him for strength and courage to do that. Father, we thank You for the hope of Christ. We thank You that He, just as Joshua did, but in a much better way, has led us into the land and is leading us into the land. So may we trust Him and love Him by obeying His Word and helping others to do the same. And God, remind us of the day that when we walk upon the shores of that forever Jordan, that when we get there, we will realize that we have nothing to be afraid of here. We have everything to trust You for. We love you and thank God for the many ways your grace is apparent in this congregation. Lord, bless us as we walk towards Canaan. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.